Christopher Kassan, and this is Ireland's Edge. On this episode, music and memory three years after the repeal of the 8th. Morgan McIntyre from Belfast and Gemma Doherty from Derry met while students at Trinity College Dublin and formed the duo Saint Sister. Their debut album, The Shape of Silence, was nominated for both the Choice Music Prize and the Northern Irish Music Prize in 2018. That year, in the run-up to the referendum to repeal Ireland's constitutional ban on abortion, they wrote a song called Manchester Air, which explores a young couple's journey across the Irish Sea after an unexpected pregnancy. For decades, tens of thousands of women had been forced to make such costly and traumatic journeys to access reproductive health care. While 2018's momentous vote has finally seen the introduction of safe and legal abortion services in the Republic of Ireland, women seeking such services in the north of Ireland are still being forced to travel abroad. Manchester Air was released on May 25th this year, the third anniversary of the referendum, and is featured on Saint Sister's new album, Where I Should End, which comes out later this month. Molly King, Head of Development and Other Voices, spoke to Saint Sister about music, memories and the story behind Manchester Air. Morgan, Gemma, Saint Sister, um, thank you so much for coming on the Ireland's Edge podcast. This is like super exciting, so I'm so thrilled about it. We're going to talk about loads of stuff. Um, It wouldn't be like us, but (laughs) we're particularly or specifically talking about, to start with, with Manchester Air. So... At the time we were recording the podcast, the song's not out, but by the time this podcast is out, Manchester Air will have just come out. So it's coming out on May 25th, which is the anniversary of um, Ireland repeating the Eighth Amendment and allowing free, safe and legal abortions to women in the Republic of Ireland. Um, so like, I have loads to talk about this, to do with this song and to talk about it and where it came from. But I'd love for you to just maybe just briefly explain why you made the decision to kind of put it out on such a kind of auspicious and specific date and just kind of briefly describe the song and then we'll kind of get into where it came from and all the kind of evolutions it went through. Well, in terms of the decision, I guess it came about quite naturally, um, as did the song. It wasn't like we sat down and and wanted to write a political song or um, like we're making a snap decision to do that. It just, I guess we felt compelled because because of everything that was going on in our environment and and what the people that we knew were going through but that all kind of fed into the making of the song it was it kind of came quite naturally and I guess um a couple of months ago when we were um talking about the record and what songs would be important to have on the record it was an kind of very important for us that that one would be on it and um just looking at the timelines we were we were thinking of May and and the memories that that conjured and it kind of made sense to give it its own space. I think what what's particularly interesting maybe about this one is that it's not necessarily a typical single release. I think if it um, if it had a different type of content or we were in a different time of the year, it probably wouldn't have it probably wouldn't have that space. And we just really wanted this song to have a bit of space on its own outside of the album. So for that reason. Um, we decided to release it um, ahead of the album release and then it just kind of, yeah, felt natural to do it on the anniversary. Yeah, because like I was thinking about the song yesterday again and, you know, I've been really lucky. I've got, I've, I've seen you guys perform this once in real life, which feels like a huge <laughs> privilege in this like COVID world we're living in. Um, and then once via the Courage stream um, in Derry um, and two very different setups and like one one kind of evolution to another I guess so if we just want to talk briefly about like the yeah like the evolution of the song where that sound came from and 
the experience of writing it and then how it evolved after that. Yeah, we had been we'd been invited out by Mary Nally, who runs Drop Everything, along with a bunch of other artists and creatives, to um, as like a, a sort of a residency week before the before the festival itself. Um, so people were out there kind of building and building the festival and making things and um, there was all sorts going on and it was just incredible and the weather was amazing. Um, it was just a really one of those weeks you look back and you're like, God, did that happen? Like one of those kind of ones. Everyone had come over. I guess what's like extra significant about it is that that, that Friday, I think, was the, the vote for the referendum and everyone was registered. Some people had registered the island, but most people were registered on the mainland. So we'd all gone out on the Monday, spent these like, you know, four or five beautiful and intense days um, meeting people and making things and writing songs. And then everyone got the got the boat back, went back to wherever they were coming from, voted and then came back out to the island for the festival again. So it was, I think you have this real strong sense of like community when you go to something like that anyway, but that really, I think, intensified it. I'm sure you guys all felt it too. Um, but it was in those days leading up to the festival itself that we'd kind of gone there with the the mind frame of going in to write our begin writing our, our second album and uh we were kind of working separately like I was in one room with keyboards messing around and I didn't do anything great but Morgan came out one of the days um with with the the, the beginnings of these lyrics and yeah I was just like blown away by them and in the week that it was and um it was really really poignant we were talking about this briefly earlier but we're talking about how songs sometimes for songwriters and lyricists kind of until you get the lyrics out, you actually maybe weren't aware of all the feelings you were feeling like this kind yeah. of crystal, like crystallizing these kind of swirling feelings that so many people have been going through during mm-hmm. the course of this kind of campaign. Mm-hmm. And so like when you were writing the song, like were you kind of surprised by how it happened? Like it seems like it, the writing of it happened quite quickly lyrics wise. Yeah, um, I remember the first line kind of coming to me in the back of a van in Texas a month or two before that. And I remember turning to Gemma and telling her the line and then kind of feeling like I didn't really understand what the song was about. And um, and maybe because it starts off um, from the back of your bike. I told you I was late. You said I can't go much faster. I said, no, not like that. And I guess the implication there is that there's a com- misunderstanding about what being late means in that context. From the back of your bike, I told you I was late. You said I can't go much faster. I said no, not like that. Then I knew by your grip that you knew what I meant. Said whatever happens, this is now and it's heaven. I almost think that like when writing it I was misunderstood about it and like didn't didn't really fully grasp the the story that I wanted to tell but the, all these ideas and all the feelings and and the um the slogans of the posters um and the sound bites from the radio and every taxi that you got into that they were all rolling around my head and they were weighing quite heavily on me at that time um so I think it was just kind of yeah rolling about in the brain in the in the um in the conscious somewhere and 
when we got to Inishir, it was kind of like we had been talking about nothing else. Like that was at the top of our brain. And um, it dominated every discussion that we were having, whether we wanted to, to or not. Anytime you tried to escape it, it would come in from another angle. So I think then at that point, having got like one seed of an idea, the rest of it just kind of fell out when we had a bit of time. And I guess what was special about that time on an issue was uh, like we don't really, and this is terrible because it, it's one of the most important parts of our job, but we never really take time to write. And I guess we just had been given this amazing week on on as a retreat to write. And I think it was one of those moments where I just had a, a, a break and a pause and, and uh, a time to think about everything that everyone was going through. And that's how they kind of fell out there. But I remember singing it before and myself and Gemma learning it and walking down the um, little laneways and trying to figure out harmonies and getting it into our brains and the anxiety that we were feeling while we were singing it. It was kind of like, are we, are we jinxing something by even talking about this? Should we be like, is it a bit, I just, I felt like the timing wasn't right. And then suddenly singing it afterwards it definitely the, the first instance it felt different and it, it did feel like a weight had been lifted off but the song ends quite sad and, and the song ends with like a nod to like all the angry women and the the generations of women who've been let down and and how that kind of manifests through generations and I guess that's quite fitting as well because very shortly after the results came through and very shortly after that kind of weight felt like it had been lifted, it felt like it had just been thrown back on us when we were thinking about everyone in the North and and, and now mm. I can't believe we're still in the situation that we are in. And also in the South that there's still a lot of women that still have to travel for um, healthcare. So mm-hmm. in one sense, we have come a long way, but in another sense, the song still kind of, is just as heavy and just as emotional. And I know there are still women flying over to Manchester to um, to get abortions that shouldn't be. And that's still a really, really sad thing. The night felt so light in the Manchester air And I know I am angry most of the time But whatever happened to dinner in Cabra me up, sit me down. I am the top of the top. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just interesting to see the parallels between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So we repealed the Eighth Amendment in 2018, and then in 2019, abortion was decriminalized in Northern Ireland. And then I believe in March 2020, a new kind of legislative framework around abortion services was made available but I know the Northern Ireland Assembly and the Department of Health have been incredibly obstructive of basically rolling out any of those services and I know that there's been some kind of false starts around services starting and then being kind of grossly underfunded and then having to stop again so Human Rights Northern Ireland has taken a case against the Northern Ireland Executive on that basis as well so you know it's so important to remember that on the same island Mm-hmm. These women are being treated so differently. And I think there is a sadness and a poignancy to the song in that respect as well, even though I think like parts of it are really uplifting. And I'd be interested actually, Gemma, to talk about musically because I'm kind of fascinated by the idea of Morgan coming to you with these lyrics and then the musicality of the song and just how it strikes a couple of tones. Like it starts out 
you know, like an acapella and it's quite somber and it's very moving, but you have this beautifully wrought string section and there's clapping and it almost sounds kind of jubilant for a minute. Like it, it almost feels like this kind of mixed bag of emotions, which is like exactly what was going on at the time. But I'm just interested to see like from your point of view, like how did you work that out or was it just kind of intuitive? Um, I guess it came in a few different stages. Um, as Morgan talked about there, the first stage, I guess, is it was us walking around in a shear trying to figure out, you know, just harmonies. And, and at that stage, it was really just, it was an acapella, an acapella song and trying to f- f- uh, fit the two voices around each other and f- see what they should be saying or how they should be feeling. Um, and I think we performed it a couple of times just that way, but think then when we were bringing it into the studio that's when it kind of took on another kind of um lease of life I guess and it's it has such a it's so narratively driven and it, it really is all about the lyrics so I just never really wanted to get in the way of that too much or you know it's just verse structure there's there's not a chorus or anything necessarily there's like a vocal reprieve at the end of each verse but um it kind of just felt like they needed all all that space in the vocal part of the song, I guess the part that you're talking about with the the stamps and the claps, um, that came. I think we were when we were demoing the song. There was there's a section of it where it almost does feel like you're kind of like you're breaking out into song. It feels like there are more people in the room, and I think we just started kind of doing that naturally. And um, we wanted to, yeah, it's like for a brief second it feels like you're in a session or you're with a bunch of people, and then that kind of disappears again, and you're back to being in your own voice and being in your own head. Um, and then after the last verse, that kind of starts to creep in again. And then, yeah, that, then we have the strings of um, beautiful Crash Ensemble, who we were so happy to have on this album with us. Um, and it was actually another song on the album, the last song, Any Dreams, that that's the first song that when I was arranging it, I, I heard string parts for. Um, and once we decided to bring them in, then I just started hearing a lot of other places on the album that that they could go and that might that might serve the song and this was definitely one of them um so yeah just not long before we went into the studio I just kind of wrote this arrangement for the end of it and um it's very much yeah they're 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 two different they don't they don't interplay with each other at all the the words and the music they kind of they echo each other and they build each other up but it's not you know they, they they say their own thing I think it was you described it as like almost like a sort of a cry or like a unity of voices then at the end that the strings kind of take over and do their own thing. The string instruments, I think, really remind me of that, like almost in a in this, and I say this in the best possible way, like a banshee crying, yeah. and and to me, a banshee is like a very sad and angry woman, um, of which I count myself one of those sometimes. Sometimes I'm sad and angry, but it, it yeah, it felt right to kind of have the story at the top of the song, and then have a moment of reflection and. Um, I just think Crash Ensemble did such a good job and Gemma is an incredible arranger and it was so nice to see her um, really flex. 
in that role because I always knew she could do that but like this is this is the first time on this album that you really like did it over across across multiple pieces so uh, yeah I just love the intensity and I think you can it's something about having the instrumental on its own you can kind of go to a different space um and you can be a bit more dramatic without kind of I guess um over egging the song so I, I like that they both have their own space for that because you can kind of do different things with um the storytelling of each part yeah and I think that's such like such a good point because the song is like it's it's just never overwrought and that's why it packs such a punch you know because it does have, give a lot of space and I love how on the one hand it's so specific local personal you know like dinner and cabra and you know you can really situate yourself somewhere in a place and a time with people but then it's this kind of completely almost universal experience to women you know the mm-hmm. the fear the anxiety the the anger so you know I got to see the stripped back version that you played in 2018 and then fast forward to pandemic COVID no gigs and and um, we were so thrilled that you played for us were the other voices courage stream and dairy and when I heard that um Gemma was flexing and uh bringing crash <laughs> alongside I, could, I just was so excited and then I you know I watched it and I just thought it was brilliant and I just remember thinking it was such a powerful performance and I know Gemma was in your hometown as well and I just wonder like uh, even on the backdrop years later after the referendum but again such a stressful and difficult experience of pandemic and isolation what were you both really emotional during that performance or afterwards I never even got to ask you after I felt like that would have been cathartic but also incredibly emotional to perform like that you know that was a very emotional and cathartic gig because yeah, it was just we we you know it had been it had just been taken away from everyone so abruptly and for the first few months it was like just don't think about gigs. There's no you know they they're not happening. Can't do it. <laughs> That's why I thought about it anyway. And then when the other voices streams started coming, they were all just incredible. And watching each one was like, oh my god, like. Um, it just brings you right into this other world that we'd had to just kind of forget about for a while. So I just felt like they were so powerful and we were just so buzzing to be asked to do one and even more so when we got to bring the strings in because you just get this, they just fill a room, you know, and like they just have the ability to like just the quartet even, you can just kind of take it to a new place. And we hadn't played in so long that it was nearly just as easy to just like do different arrangements and just think about it as a, a as its own thing which you don't get to do very often you know when you're jumping from gig to gig and you just you're on kind of a bit of a treadmill but this was just like it stood out it stood alone and just a few months before we'd had the uh, crash in for the album recording so took some of those arrangements did a few other ones and this was one of them and yeah it was it's really powerful because I don't know how many times we're going to get to perform it that way probably not many <laughs> we definitely can't bring a string quartet on the road with us that's for sure so I think when we perform this it'll mostly be a cappella. so getting to do it in that way with those women um in Derry my hometown a uh, special extra one for me but um I that was like I'll never never forget that so it was really incredible and all of a sudden we tear on the bus and you're taking bets on the foosball queen Well, I'll always beat you I 
as long as we're sober So come on, get me drunk, win back some of your money Oh, I love you, honey, this is not heaven Yeah, I feel like we're going to have that in the archives forever. Like, it was just a moment in time that you probably... And because it was live, like, actually live, the feeling you get with that liveness is... Because you never get it back, you know. It, it literally is just... It happens and then it's gone. So it's just... We were so happy to have you with us. It was just amazing. But yeah, I guess I kind of also wanted to talk a little bit about maybe your relationship with other voices as well, just to kind of go way back again. Because you've been with us a few times and, you know... Uh, Morgan, you and I met many, many years ago in college um, when I interviewed you on my college radio show. Um, um, but yeah, so it's just been like, it's been such a nice journey for me personally via other voices to kind of be around you both and see you evolve as musicians. So when did you kind of first become aware of other voices and how did that, what are your memories of it, I guess? Oh, I remember just like for years, everybody talking about other voices and how do you get a ticket? And like, I think people, I remember somebody asking me, even though I'd never played other voices before, but just because I was a musician, like someone's like, any hookups for other voices tickets? Like, I'm sure Molly, you get, I'd say it's your worst nightmare <laughs> that everyone just, I'm sure I've harassed you in the past for stuff like that. But um, just the legacy like kind of lived and I watched all the shows. Like I remember um, being in the North and like getting up on the iP or on the on the player and like watching it and just being obsessed and just thinking like one day that that was a that was it was really I, I think we must have put it on our list of um things that we would oh actually I remember what we did was um on our list of things we'd like to achieve when we started a band we wrote down other voices and then Connor said <laughs> only oh it was like oh yeah right like as does anybody know one of the kings I don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> Like, oh, okay. I didn't know that story. Yeah. And you're like, well, we don't. So, Morgan was like, actually, I do. Yeah, yeah. I like, I was like, oh, she invited me on for a radio show, very prestigious, a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, no, we were just, we had it in our sights for so long because we were such big fans of the show. So, um, and I feel like Other Voices has really marked um, a few really special, like our first Other Voices performance was in the, um, in the storm do you remember that yeah in the other room yeah desmond was it oh desmond yeah and the hearts were flying um all around the back and we were in like a marquee that was like 2015 and it really was the biggest thing that we'd ever done like big time we were just we couldn't believe our luck we were like this is our big shot and it like it was so special and then the next weekend the year i remember getting i think i coerced you both into coming in to do like a kind of acoustic thing at banter as well in the back, like shoved into the back of Foxy John's and Gem was so like, drag your heart, you know, into the back of a really busy pub when you were so, so nice about it. it was just brilliant. And there's so much buzz around you from the get go. Like I remember when your first single came out and I saw Morgan and I was like, Morgan, she's in the band. Oh my God. And I was so, so excited. And then of course, when we finally got, you know, we got you into the church. I felt like that was such a big, it was such a big moment. I remember being up on the balcony in the church and watching you perform with Lisa Hannigan. And we were both kind of peering over the banisters, watching you perform, just being like, this is deadly. This is great. You know? And she was like, who are these girls? These are amazing. And I was like, oh, I'll introduce you to, I'll introduce you. And you guys were 
you know, loading out and again, you know, dragging fly cases and stuff. And I was like, Lisa, come and meet the girls. And I actually think I underestimated the level of fan oh, I literally were of, out. of her. I started running back I, I think one of you may, may have tried to like run in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. That was me. I can't remember which one is Gemma, probably. I was running, I had gone to like drop off some stuff and was running back into the church to get more stuff. And I was like, oh, there's Morgan. She's talking to Molly. And I was like, oh my God, this is Lisa again. And I just like, <laughs> like the closer I got to these, I just kind of like started reversing back again. I was like, I can't deal with this right now. Aye, that was, inc- that was incredible. And then yeah, we were on she was so taken tour with her a couple, of, a couple of weeks later. So thank you, Molly. Yeah, oh, we have no a lot problem. to thank you for Oh no, your performance. I remember her being like, look at that heart. Like she just was so taken with your performance. I was so thrilled that you guys got on so well. And now it's amazing because she's sung on your record and from the place that I work and you guys have sung together loads. And so it's just so nice to see that kind of evolution, kind of collaboration as well. Yeah, it all started with other voices. (laughs) (laughs) I guess like as kind of talking about how you maybe view yourself in the context of almost kind of social justice and protest songs. We talked a little bit briefly about how music informs so much of, even if it's after the fact, how people, to help people understand how they felt about a moment in time. And I feel like Manchester Air is that for so many people Mm -hmm. um, because it came about at a very emotionally challenging time. And so you kind of have this piece of work that people can hold on to in the future and it kind of brings them, either brings them back to how they felt or lets them, helps them understand how they are feeling about something. And I just mm-hmm. wonder, is that, I know that was such a personal song, but are you ever conscious, both of you, in having a platform and a voice and how you express yourself in the context of movements or issues that you feel strongly about? Or is it something that just naturally happens that you don't consciously think about at all? I think maybe a mixture of both in terms mm-hmm. of um, the impetus or like the compulsion to be involved in any kind of movement or to stand up for any kind of uh, human rights injustices or yeah, anything that you think you should give your time to that, that comes very naturally. And that's, that's not driven by any kind of um, orchestrated decision because I, I don't think it wouldn't work if it, if it was, but um, I guess then, the next step is do you incorporate some of that into your music and and do you have a duty to and for years I felt like I was kind of letting because I would view myself as quite a political person but I would say that my songs are like all sappy love songs and I was kind of like how what how can I bridge that part of my personality and I almost felt like I was letting a side of me down and that I wasn't um doing myself justice in in expressing the things that I care about and that I felt were important to support but anytime I tried to write a political song it just felt so on the nose and I think maybe that's something to do with the relative privilege that I have um, enjoyed as a as a middle class white person in Ireland and I just couldn't find a way a way in to things that I really cared about because it felt like I didn't have the right words and I guess where Manchester Air differs is that it just happened and it, it 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 came from a personal place and the song is still so personal to me that I still feel like every time I sing it I'm gonna cry and it, it just felt like it was coming from a different part of my brain and and hopefully it will um 
connect with people because it doesn't feel like it's trying to do anything. And I guess what if I was trying to do anything, it was to help myself out of the intense anxiety and sadness I was feeling about everything. And I guess when you write a song that kind of serves yourself first, it feels like a very selfish and indulgent kind of thing to do, but you can only hope that it also kind of, um, it does something for someone else and that they see themselves in it. And sometimes I worry that like, cause there are some very specific references in the song to place names and, and to situations and like foosball, which I happen to be very, very good at. Um, I was going to ask you about that. I was like, are you incredible at foosball? Well, so I think I'm incredible at foosball, but actually I'm not. And Gemma has to constantly remind me to, to like, I, I do the opposite of hustle people. I tell them I'm great and then I lose. <laughs> but she's like, if you just went in a bit like cooler and then like talk about it so much, you'd maybe... And you take people by surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gemma's like, can you just please downplay yourself? <laughs> Such great advice from a friend. <laughs> but, strategic, um, strategic advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so like things like I, I was worried that that would alienate people, but... I think it's, you can't, I guess I've learned that the more you worry and the more you chop and change and the more you try and write for other people, the less um, good the song is, first of all, and also the less universal the song ends up being because everybody is specific in their intentions and in what they like and nobody is very vague about everything. So you have to kind of commit and then hope that um, that, that kind of honesty is what... Um, is what like triggers a reaction, I guess. I mean, it's really interesting. I think a lot of songwriters talk about this is like, you know, you write a song from a really personal place and there's like specific references to people and places and what have you that you kind of think in one way, no one could relate to. But then when the songs come out, they kind of belong to other people then. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of go through this. I always am interested in this when I talk to musicians is that you must sit with like demos and your own work for so long and you know it's very specific to you and how you feel about them and then when your music comes out like people's responses to the to the songs or what they feel about them is so varied like I know from as being a fan of music that like I definitely project onto lyrics things that that the songwriter did not mean you know like I was thinking about this this morning um kind of in relation I was thinking about various songs by uh, Irish musicians that have kind of political messages or, or of our generation. So um, Manchester Air is very personal, but also about kind of very political social justice movement. Like I was thinking about Conor O'Brien. Um, he wrote a bunch of his album, one of his albums came out in around the time of the marriage equality referendum in Ireland. And like, I've definitely projected onto some of those songs because um one of his songs is called Hot and Scary Summer. And there's this line about something like all the pretty young homophobes are looking for a fight. And then there's this other line that goes, we got good at pretending and then pretending got us good. And I always projected onto the song that that was about like repressing your true identity and being closet, you know, being in the closet and not expressing yourself. And in the context of this very difficult time during the March Holiday referendum, and then I read back over the lyrics and I was like, this is about a breakup. It's not about, you know, I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is about a relationship. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny the way you just don't question, you just immediately go, 
that's what I feel about this song. And I think that's yeah. kind of cool, Morgan, because then you, you means you don't really have to write for anyone because something that's so specific and personal to you, like we as listeners find a way to make that personal to us, whether it's kind of yeah. true or not, you know, it's like, it's just interpretation. Yeah. And I remember Joni Mitchell said, if you see me in my songs, I think that was the way she yeah. said it. If you're seeing me in my songs, I'm not doing my job right. And I do agree with that. But part of me as a listener, I am obsessed with knowing exactly where each line came from. But it's kind of a double edged sword because I have such a desire to know exactly what that person was thinking of. But when I find out that it's something different from what I was thinking of, it kind of breaks my heart a bit. So I feel like sometimes it's good to know exactly what a writer's intention is and it can really shine a light on. But sometimes the song serves the listener much better if they're in a completely different world and they can just they can use your words almost as tools and go off into like their own world that's you as a songwriter as well like you're naturally gonna feel that but you know if if it just has this kind of wider universal like not everyone would necessarily think that way Mm. so yeah it's really they're the best songs I think yeah yeah like I've definitely gone on like genius lyrics and looked at all the annotations and been like what does it mean and then mm-hmm. but sometimes that can be really disappointing because like you kind of built something up to a certain degree and then if if what they actually meant you feel is less meaningful then you feel a little bit like as a nerd and a yeah. fan you're kind of like oh damn it that's not I misinterpreted it or it didn't mean that way it didn't mean that to me you know yeah exactly and of course it's going to feel less meaningful because they're not writing they don't know you yeah. <laughs> so they're not like they're, like it's never gonna feel as um like you're never gonna feel as connected as if you're just listening to their words and like kind of um going there in your own head so yeah it's a dangerous game and sometimes I end up sadder after it <laughs> it's I think it's funny like because a lot of songwriters say they feel like it can be a bit of a selfish pursuit to kind of just completely focus on your own emotions and and feelings all the time but I think that's what everyone wants from you ultimately, you know, because it's just yeah. like, it's the same, it's kind of like a mirror image of like, I'm interpreting lyrics selfishly and how they relate to myself yeah. and you wrote them about yourself. So it's kind of like, you know, everyone's playing the same <laughs> thing. Things. Some people yeah. just can't write songs. <laughs> <laughs> everyone can write songs. I truly oh, believe. Morgan, I, I beg to loads of people don't try. <laughs> I could try I'll send I'll write a song and send it to you and then you can okay. you can retract <laughs> that's I would love to listen to that <laughs> um I'd like to chat to you briefly as well about I guess well when the al- album is coming out in June yes the album is out on June 25th amazing and I know it's been a long time coming and it's been because of COVID and everything's kind of sitting around I'd just like to talk a little bit about the production specifically because I feel like it's just such a nice natural evolution from your first record to the second and I feel like it's very lush and just like everything has enough space and it's not overproduced but it's just it, there's loads of layers going on and some of the so- like karaoke song and Manchester Air could not be more different and even there's really strong kind of narrative focus in most of the songs when you went in, I know this a long time ago now, but when you started the record, did you have very specific intentions about it from a production point of view? Um, Morgan, from kind of a songwriting point of view, because I feel like they're such immersive songs on, on both ends, m- musically and kind of lyrically. 
And I just wonder, was that just where you were at and how you evolved? Or did you kind of sit down and say like, this, these are my hopes and dreams for this record, you know? I think a bit of both. And the songs had, the songs for this album had kind of come about over the course of like maybe two years, um, spanning all different kinds of, like a lot of the songs are things that happened while we were on tour or, you know, an event that we went through together. A lot of them are, you know, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of specific references and they outline that journey, I guess. Um, and yeah, they, they all kind of live in in their own worlds and production wise, just kind of wanted to let each song kind of kind of drive that and that be the decider for where they should end up. Um, there are like a few different palettes, I guess, on there. Um, but we recorded the whole thing like across you know, three weeks or three, sorry, that's not true. There was a three week block and then we did like a few couple of pickups and that, but they were all created at, at the, in and around at the same time. And that kind of, that brings like a consistency to it that I definitely feel. And like a lot of the players are the same and a lot of the instruments are the same and they might've been used in different ways um, throughout. But yeah, that kind of, that brings a sort of a through thread in terms of how it feels and 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 how it was made although it um it's taken so long for us to be able to bring it out because of you know the way the last year has gone in comparison to the first our first record which took us ages you know it was a series of of recording sessions and we'd go and we'd do a song here two songs there and finish that later this one was all like in my head it feels like uh it feels like a moment in time which I really enjoy so it, it, it feels really different in that way. We made it quite quickly, although we weren't able to bring it out for a long time. You kind of touched on it there, but I, I feel like, you know, for musicians who are kind of starting out, I feel like studios can be exciting, but also I can imagine really intimidating. Yeah. Like I can't imagine what it's like to be like, right, go and record X amount of songs or go and record a song, but you've noticed, and you're kind of looking to all these people to kind of support your mm-hmm. vision for how you want to express yourself musically. And especially like, studios typically already male environments as well and more mm-hmm. or Gemma I know you've done some production on this record but I I don't really I, I know that it's, it's just still such a male dominated space and I just wonder it takes a certain degree of confidence to get to a point where you're like no I'm going to sit down and I have something to bring to this song product from a production point of view and I just wonder like how did you arrive at that and how do you feel about it? I that was a big one so we, we did we, we produced this one ourselves um uh the whole record and it took us a while to kind of get there because the first record we made with Alex Ryan, that was a great um, great process and a great experience. And we learned so much through the three of us working so closely. That was our first real studio experience. So over the course of a couple of years, um, we took so much from that. And we knew we wanted to try something different on the second. So we did spend a bit of time, you know, we, we trialed a few studios and maybe thought about a few producers and we tried a few things out, but it just it never quite felt right. Like it didn't quite click. And I think over the process of a few months, we kind of, it, it is just that realization of like trust in yourself. And that took some time. Like, I think we did think like, oh, we need to have someone else. Um, we need to have that other label on it or we need that other association with it. And then really we, we just, we, we had a, a studio and an engineer that we love, um, Rian Trench in the meadow was our engineer, a recording engineer, and Benedict McIsaac was the mixing engineer in Berlin. And between the two guys, like we, you know, we love what they do and and trust them and and knew them. And that just kind of really gave us the space to like do what we wanted to do. And I think after after the months of 
trying a few options and trying different producers, we kind of realized it, it was only through doing that. It was like, actually, I, I do know how I want this designed. I know exactly how we want this designed. And we also like think we know how to get there. So, um, but it was definitely a process. I think it's easier to say that now that it's made and like it's here, we have it in our hand. But at the time that was, that was scary, you know, cause it was like the first time you do anything is, is a big gamble. Um, so it's nice to, and, and until you've done it once, you can't really, you can't really say that you're, you're able or anything like that. I think we all knew you, you were able Gemma, but it's, it's interesting because our roles are so different. It's, I can really like clearly see Gemma finding the confidence to like stepping up to the plate. And I guess she always imbues me with confidence to write the songs that I want to write so it was like once I realized that Gemma would be up for this my whole like goal was like how do I convince Gemma that she can do this because I knew that you could do this but it's like a different thing telling you and another thing you knowing and I'm so glad that you did it because now there's no going back like you produced a record which is like a really cool thing to say and I'm very proud of you well we did there's no way back Gemma you're gonna have to produce (laughs) everything (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay genuinely thank you so much for talking to me for almost an hour I am so excited for people here to hear this album because I genuinely have listened to it an maybe unhealthy amount of times (laughs) Um, so I'm just massive congratulations on it I think it's like such an amazing piece of work and I hope I get to see you play live soon I'll be crying in the audience somewhere waving Um, but yeah thank you so much for coming on the Ireland's Edge podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much to Morgan and Gemma for that fascinating conversation with Molly King. Saint Sister's new album, Where I Should End, is out on the 25th of June. And thank you for your company throughout this series. To make sure that you don't miss any of our future bonus episodes, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a South Wind Blows production, and I'm Christopher Kassan. Now, here's Manchester Air by Saint Sister, recorded at the Guildhall in Derry last summer for the Other Voices series, Courage. From the back of your bike I told you I was late You said I can't go much faster I said no, not like that Then I knew by your grip that you knew what I meant Said whatever happens, this is now and it's heaven Some of your money Oh, I love
Sit me down, I am the tall of the tall 